Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with Hurricane Dorian's path of destruction. The Category 5 hurricane blamed now for at least five deaths, devastating much of the Bahamas. It's weakened only slightly, and now it's stalled before it's expected to hit the U.S. East Coast. Aaron MacArthur has more on the catastrophic damage, including the impact being felt right here at home. Here's another one that was sent to me by Crystal. Bill Atherholt is scouring social media, looking for any signs of friends and neighbors. A resident in the Bahamas, Hurricane Dorian is delivering a thrashing to the islands he called home just last month. We've heard no communication, direct communication, out of the region that got hit by the the eye of the storm. I think people are just trying to find out, you know, find any way to get information out to their loved ones. Atherholt and Angela Burns run a charity called Fishing for Plastic on Abaco Island. Much of what they know is in ruins. Entire neighborhoods underwater or simply wiped off the map. Officials reporting at least five dead. I'm feeling very concerned for all the people that we met and that we've worked with. It looks like many of them are out of their homes and we're just really hoping that they are safe. Dorian is enormous. The Category 4 hurricane has stalled over the northern Bahamas, leaving a trail of destruction underneath. I'm devastated. Meteorologists have tracked the storm, and at this point, it looks like it will glance across the southeastern United States. Hurricane warnings have been issued from Florida to the Carolinas. We are in a situation where the storm is stalling very close to our coast. It is going to make a movement, and the movement that it makes is going to have a lot of impact. It will be days before the scope of the damage is fully realized. Foreign Affairs has issued a warning against all Canadian travel to the Bahamas. People trying to find safety. WestJet says it will be sending an additional flight to Nassau Tuesday to evacuate passengers stranded after the worst hurricane to hit the Bahamas in a generation. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And the guess about where it's going to head next. This is a live shot of Cocoa Beach, Florida, where the waves are growing. It's dark there right now. It's going to be a nail-biter for a number of U.S. cities along the southeast coast, including here in Myrtle Beach. This live shot shows things appear fairly calm, but the waves are crashing ashore there as well. The worst of the storm is expected to arrive Tuesday and Wednesday based on its current path. Although, as we said earlier, it has stalled right now. And meteorologist Christy Gordon will have much more on that coming up a little bit later on the news hour. Right now, though, on the eve of back to school, there's much uncertainty tonight surrounding the contract for BC teachers. While students will start their new school year tomorrow, teachers are returning to the classroom without a contract. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now. And Keith, the mediator hit pause late last mm-hmm. week. The two sides too far apart to continue. So what happens next? 
Well, the good news, as you say, Chris, the schools are going to reopen tomorrow, as is the per norm. It's just going to be like the last day of school in June. So there's no picket line, no job action. In fact, none of that even in sight as the new school year begins. And unlike previous disputes, this one lacks the anger and acrimony and rancor that characterize those bad disputes between the Liberals and the BCTF. A different uh, crowd in charge now. And evidence of that new positivism was the fact that BCTF President Terry Mooring and Education Minister Rob Fleming were on the same rally of... Uh, celebrating Labor Day today on the front lawn of the legislature, where I caught up with both of them. What we're trying to do is work to secure a collective agreement sooner rather than later. That's been our goal all along. Uh, and so, you know, that's what we'll be working towards. Um, but it takes two to, to bargain. The most stressful time for, for both kids and parents is those first couple of weeks of school. Uh, we'll be back at the table in three weeks' time. Uh, we'll have uh, res- we'll continue respectful discussions uh, with uh, BC's professional teachers, and uh, and look what we can and look to see what we can do. Uh, we've achieved an agreement with uh, with nurses, with with other uh, professions uh, in uh, BC's public service, and uh, and we think we can get to a similar agreement with teachers. All right, let's hope that's true. Uh, good luck to all the students heading back to school tomorrow. We go from education to health care, mm-hmm. another big expense for the province, and we hear there's a big hospital announcement tomorrow. Yep. Yeah, in Burnaby. So at Burnaby General, Premier John Horgan and Adrian Dix, the health minister, will be in attendance around noon to announce plans for the long-awaited replacement of the aging Burnaby General Hospital. This is a huge project, going to come in at more than $1 billion. So this now is added to the list of St. Paul's Hospital, a new one there, and a new one for Royal Columbia. So big hospital projects underway under this NDP government. Tomorrow's the latest with Burnaby General, which I think is approaching about 65 years old. It is in dire need of a replacement, and work begins tomorrow. All right, more coverage on the news hour at that time. Thanks very much, Keith. Of course, back to school also means many students are worried about fitting in, and bullying is a major concern for kids and their parents. Catherine Urquhart has more on how to spot it and what parents can do to help their children. When a child is bullied, the consequences can be devastating and protecting them from being targeted is a big challenge. Youth have a lot of devices and it's really changing the way they are in the world. Um, We need to be a part of that. We need to, instead of having the devices remove us from connection with our kids, we need to reinsert ourselves. As kids head back to school, parents are being reminded to watch for possible red flags. Kids who are being bullied can show signs that are very similar to other situations, other types of anxiety. With younger kids, it may be stomach aches or saying they don't want to go to school or they don't like a certain friend. Teens may also um, show signs of anxiety, problems sleeping, or they may even just throw their phone in the garbage. What can parents do? Have regular discussions with your child about what they're doing online. When your child gets a device, make it part of the agreement. You will monitor the content. Let them know they have the power to block someone. And preserve any evidence of bullying so it can be taken to school administrators or police if necessary. (laughs) The recent death of Carson Cremeni, which involved kids recording him overdosing, highlights how parents and educators need to encourage kids to be upstanders. People may take out their phones to film it. What we want to teach kids to do is to be upstanders, not bystanders. If even one child stands up and says, hey, this is not the right thing to do, or goes to help the child or teen who's being 
bullied or victimized, that changes the dynamic. It can actually stop the incident of bullying. Also critical in ending the cycle, helping the bully. We need to help support the victim of bullying, but we also need to support the person that's perhaps doing the bullying from the decisions they're making. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Meantime, there's good news for some students in Langley Township. That community is one of the fastest growing in Metro Vancouver. And tomorrow, hundreds of students will get to be the first to enter a brand new high school. Ted Field has more on the changes in store and why this educational upgrade has a unique twist. It's amazing. Some Langley Township students are thrilled to be going back to school because their old, overcrowded RE Mountain Secondary is now a brand shiny new RE Mountain Secondary. Kind of crazy, looks like a university instead. I think I took a wrong turn somewhere. Everything visible to the heart of the school. So that we... The big difference between old and new schools is space. The new one has lots of it. A lot of gymnasiums are just closed in and you can't really see into them, but we have lots of glass even going into the gymnasiums here. Last April, the old mountain shut down to be replaced by a new high school next door. But students and staff wanted to keep the name and tradition going into the new building. But there was one piece of history they were happy to leave behind. Uh, we had 21 portables at the old school. Uh, so at any given point in time, we had more students learning outside the building than inside the building at the last school. So we're really happy to have everybody in the building here. The new mountain will welcome 1,500 students, but is designed to handle up to 1,700. In a unique move, a decision was made not to close or tear down the old school, but renovate and convert it into a new school for grades 6 to 8. How's it looking to you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So, pretty good. so far? Yeah. Better than I did last year. New name, Peter Ewart Middle School. Fantastic opportunities, not only for our staff to collaborate with each other as we transition from elementary to middle to secondary school, but also a fantastic time for our students to work with uh, the high school students. 700 students will go to Ewart. Considering the massive number of homes being built in Langley, the arrival of more schools could not come soon enough. Ari Mountain Eagles and Peter Hewitt Ravens, two birds almost sharing the same nest. Ted Field, Global News. Some encouraging developments tonight at the site of a rock slide on the Fraser River that's blocking salmon from swimming upstream. Crews have finished building a road that will allow trucks to transport salmon past the blockage. They tested it out yesterday, and it was a success. Until now, helicopters have been used to airlift the fish, about 55,000 of them so far, but it's very expensive, and the choppers can't fly in the dark or in bad weather. The trucks will be a vital option when the pink salmon run arrives. The Big Bar Unified Command also says water levels are dropping, which helps the fish navigate through the blockage. A passionate Labor Day rally drawing attention to the plight of migrant workers. Organizers standing in solidarity with 26 people who were rounded up last month at Hastings Racecourse and taken away in handcuffs. As Joe Bennett reports, they say it's a stark example of the work that still needs to be done in Canada. We are so pissed off. We are angry. We are not going to be screwed no more. 
A small but loud Labor Day rally to draw attention to the plight of migrant workers, specifically those targeted in a sweep at Hastings Park. Following this raid, seven workers were detained pending admissibility hearings and a number of them were issued deportation orders by the Immigration and Refugee Board of Canada. The rally comes on the heels of a letter being sent to Attorney General David Eby and several other elected officials calling for action for the workers who were arrested. Our presence today is to mainly demand open work permits for the migrant workers who were affected because if we, if we want to continue with this investigation, they need to be here, right? That investigation centers on an employee with the province's gaming policy and enforcement branch. It's alleged the employee, who has been suspended with pay, sold the migrant workers false work permits for as much as $1,000 each. And the workers had no idea the documents were false. There may have been a provincial employee involved in exploiting very vulnerable people. The Attorney General shared this information with CBSA, who elected to come in in a very heavy-handed military fashion in a way that actually intimidates people and is meant to like further harm them. What do we want? While this rally was sparked by the Hastings Park raid, organizers say they also want changes on a federal level, giving more rights and protections to migrant workers who they say are exploited in Canada. Jill Bennett, Global News. While our gains over the last four years have been substantial, we're just getting this party started here. We know that there's a lot more to do to make life fair for working people. Labor Day also recognized at Jackpool Plaza today where union leaders gathered to launch an electoral campaign for what they call a fair Canada, reminding British Columbians working families have a lot at stake with a federal election just around the corner. Right now, though, good fences make good neighbors, or so the saying goes. But residents of one of Vancouver's wealthiest neighborhoods believe good maintenance goes a long way, too. Grace Key explains why they're fed up with a neglected property on their block and what they're doing about it. Wow, what a shame. That was such a beautiful old house. Now you can barely see the house with the overgrown weeds and boarded up windows. Fed up with this abandoned home in an exclusive Vancouver neighborhood, someone has resorted to public shaming. Disgraceful maintenance. This owner has no respect for his neighbors. Neighbors have been stopping to read the sign that someone has posted onto the fence, letting the owner know he has no respect for his neighbors. Beautiful mansion, but it's abandoned. I think it's like a haunted house. The backyard is even worse. According to neighbors, at one time there were squatters and looters inside. One neighbor called the city a year ago because of the overgrown bush in the front. They responded fairly quickly. They sent a car by, they had a look within the next week, the hedge was cut back. You know, I, I, I don't know who's maintaining it now. It turns out another neighbor is maintaining it. Fed up with the front yard, he's trimmed the hedge, mowed the lawn along the boulevard, and even returfed it. A property search shows the home on Marine Crescent near West 49th was last sold in December 2015 for $6.8 million. The owner listed an address just a few blocks away. That home is on the market, and no one answered when we knocked. The yard is so overgrown. I don't know what's living in there. It's a fire hazard. It's just a hazard. The trouble is with maintenance like this, it does attract the critters, the rats, the raccoons, because they know there's nobody hanging around. 
One neighbor says this is the second time someone put up a sign. The first one was quickly taken down with apparently no real change. Time will tell if this one will make a difference. Grace Key, Global News. Charges are pending in connection with a massive seizure of exotic creatures from an abandoned home in Surrey, including thousands of spiders and dozens of whip scorpions. When they're scared, what they do is they squirt out acetic acid, also known as vinegar. So the worst thing that they could do to you is season your french fries. Most of the spiders, snakes, other reptiles and insects seized are harmless, but some, including the death stalker scorpion, can be deadly. Many of the animals were kept in inhumane conditions in pill vials and deli cups for sale to the exotic pet trade. We know that these types of international trade in animals has a mortality rate of about 70%. So it's really hard for me to justify these types of wholesale international trade in exotic animals. Some of the animals and insects were already dead and many had to be destroyed, but some were lucky enough to be transferred to the Victoria Bug Zoo and will be adopted out over the next couple of weeks. A Township of Langley councillor is threatening a possible defamation lawsuit, and that has forced a former councillor to go to B.C.'s ombudsman. It's all fallout over very different visions of the future for tiny Fort Langley. As Julia Foy tells us, this war of words comes just before a crucial vote on the issue. I feel a little threatened. I feel a bit intimidated. Langley businesswoman and former councillor Angie Qualley says she can't believe what happened after submitting a letter to the township of Langley as part of a public hearing in July. I received a letter from Eric Woodward's lawyer accusing me of defamation and telling me if I didn't stop talking basically that uh, I would be sued for defamation. On September 9th, Council will decide whether to approve a heritage alteration permit to demolish 11 boarded-up buildings in Fort Langley, which are owned by Eric Woodward. He previously submitted plans to redevelop the sites, but later withdrew them. On July 22nd, he declared a conflict of interest and recused himself from the public hearing and the upcoming vote. But now he's threatening a possible lawsuit against Qualley for defamation over her letter, which is against allowing the demolitions. Woodward's lawyer claims Qualley's letter contains vicious libels that have no foundation. Why is he speaking to it at all? He shouldn't be having any of these conversations. Not now and, and perhaps not ever since he's in a, in a place of conflict, right? Global News reached out to Councillor Woodward and his lawyer for comment in an on-camera interview. Woodward's response? I must respectfully decline the request for an interview, however, as this is largely a private matter with an uncertain outcome. This isn't the first time we've heard of Eric Woodward threatening a defamation lawsuit. In fact, just days after Global broadcast a story and posted an online report about those heritage alteration permits, he threatened to sue us too. In it, he says the report contained false and defamatory statements. Well, Global News stands by its reports. Municipal lawyer Champery Cooner has no connection to the Fort Langley conflict. And although Woodward has not sued Global or Quali, we asked him about the practice of filing multiple defamation suits. It is, essentially becomes a king's game. So you, whoever has a good amount of money to spend on the lawyers trying to sue the other individual uh, has a higher possibility of possibly uh, being successful in their lawsuit. 
We also asked the lawyer who created BC's community charter for municipal governments what the public can do if they believe an elected official has broken the rules around conflict of interest. Write a letter to the mayor and council. Um, they can go to court. They can go to the ombudsperson. They can refer it to the inspector of municipalities. As a citizen, that should, that's sort of our only power, is to be able to speak to our local government and say, hey, I disagree with this, without the constant threat of a legal battle. Qualley plans to write a letter asking council to investigate. Depending on the outcome, the issue could then go on to the BC ombudsperson. Julia Foy, Global News. A young B.C. photographer is out thousands of dollars after falling victim to a scam that has cost its victims millions of dollars and it continues to cost them. It's called the overspending or overpayment scam. And here to tell us more is our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea. And Yeah, and Sally, it's, there's no sign of the scam slowing down. No. Yeah, thanks for that, Chris. The overpayment scam involves a fraudster paying for a service or product and sending a check to the unsuspecting victim for more than the amount owed. The victim is then instructed to take the extra money and e-transfer or wire that money to a third party, but the check eventually bounces. The victim is on the hook and the scammer is nowhere to be found. Go, action. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, good. Esther Mormon's business is thriving. As a successful photographer, she's in demand, but her recent experience with a fraudster had her rethinking her career. This is by far like the biggest down point that I've had. The Langley resident was approached via text about her wedding photography. Hello, Esther. My name is Manny. I would love to hire you for my daughter's wedding. She's getting married in Vancouver. After several email exchanges, Esther sent the customer a contract to seal the deal. Um, all looked good. She requested a $700 deposit. Instead, she was personally mailed a check in the amount of $5,500, far more than her actual rate. The scammer said it was an accounting error. He mixed up you and the caterer, so I'm hoping you can send the remaining money to my caterers for my daughter's wedding. Esther did a mobile deposit and e-transferred the funds. It showed the 5500 that was in the green in my account, so I thought, okay, um, this seems all right. But it wasn't okay. Esther was a victim of the overspending scam. Within days, the fraudulent check bounced, her account showing she now owes the bank thousands of dollars. I start to panic right away and think, like, what in the world's going on? This was cleared. We reached out to TD Canada to ask if it's TD's normal practice to credit an account right away before a check is cleared. For privacy reasons, TD Canada would not comment specifically about Esther's case, but in a statement said... Providing immediate access to funds from a check is a credit decision that is applied differently for each customer based on a variety of factors, including credit history. And goes on to say, funds are available to a customer's account once the hold is lifted. However, a check may still be returned if it is determined to be fraudulent. TD also referred us to TD's hold funds policy. Some cybersecurity experts say banks are in a tricky situation when it comes to overspending scams. Payment by check is really a payment agreement between a seller and a buyer. And a bank is really the processing party. But are banks doing enough to protect consumers? I always say that convenience is the opposite or the enemy of security. So anytime you try to make a, a financial process or any sort of sensitive transaction simpler, the risk goes up. And along with that risk should come public education, and I think banks should do a lot more to educate the public, especially when they're using mobile technologies. Yeah, 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 I like that. 
Good. After Consumer Matters reached out to TD, Esther says TD credited her $900 as a goodwill gesture, the amount that was never sent to the scammer. But she's still out $4,600. No, Esther did file a police report, and Langley RCMP say the matter is still under investigation. Police say financial institutions recommend you keep the check in your account untouched for seven business days. The Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre says when it comes to protecting yourself against the scam, know who you are dealing with and never accept a check for more than your selling price. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can always email me at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. All right, feel for her, but uh, great information in that story. Thanks very much, Anne. Well, it's a picture-perfect day down at the PNE. A lot of people there enjoying the last day of the fair, and meteorologist Christy Gordon is one of them live at the fair tonight. Mm -hmm. Hi, Christy. Hi, Chris. Yes, yeah, hard to believe that we're here at the last day of the year, but it's been an incredible stretch of weather. Typically, it's synonymous with rainy weather, but we only had three days of rain. This is Jeff Strickland. He's the VP of Operations. It's been a pretty good run. It's been a fabulous run, especially for the prize home here. It's been so well received. One of our best attractions so far this year during the fair. How are the ticket sales? Very strong. We're, last I checked, I think we're about 85% sold out. Yeah, so it's moving really well. And when's the last that people can buy their tickets? Midnight tonight. This is the last chance. So we have less than six hours to get those tickets purchased. T-minus five and a half hours, everyone. And we'll be doing the draw soon. Yeah, on site next Monday, just out in front of the prize home. So you have tonight till midnight to buy your tickets and then stay tuned for next Monday to watch Live on Global. That's right. Live on Global. I'll be here and you'll be here. Absolutely. Pretty exciting for everyone who's already bought tickets. Now, if you haven't bought tickets, you have to do it now. Go to our website at peonyprizehome.ca or one eight seven seven win home right through until midnight tonight. Thanks, Jeff, and good luck to everyone at home. We'll see you next week. And I'll be back for weather, of course, as well. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Okay, Chris, all, back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. fun down there. A terrifying scene off the coast of California as a chartered dive boat goes up in flames with 39 people on board. It happened before dawn, while many were still asleep below deck. Emergency vessels were dispatched from San Francisco to San Diego. So far, eight bodies have been recovered, and the search continues for more than two dozen others who were on board. The boat was on a long weekend outing to a group of islands off Santa Barbara. Five crew members were rescued, but hope is fading still for those other victims. A catastrophic scene and one garbled distress call from a 75-foot dive boat with 39 people on board just after 3.30 a.m. It triggered a Coast Guard response from San Diego to San Francisco. Crews from the U.S. Coast Guard, the uh, Ventura County Fire Department and the uh, Vessel Assist Organization responded. Divers with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department joining the search, as well as a team of 16 investigators with the NTSB. The conception was at Santa Cruz Island, 20 yards offshore, in 64 feet of water. When the Mayday call went out, the boat sank while crews were trying to put out the fire. The crew was actually already awake and on the bridge, and they jumped off. 
A nearby pleasure craft rescued those five crew members in the water, but more than two dozen remained trapped on board. There's no escape hatch for any of the people on board. There's a small staircase that goes down below. If it's engulfed in flames, there's no way the, the crew could get down in time to help them. I know the ship. Search and rescue crews have found at least four bodies so far in their search. Rescue and recovery efforts on the scene have located an additional four victims on the ocean floor in close proximity to the vessel. My heart breaks for every one of their souls. On a three-day outing, the ship was due back at the sea landing early this evening. Jennifer Bjorkland, NBC News, Oxnard, California. An evacuation order has now been lifted for a rural area southeast of Calgary. Close to 500 people were ordered out when a CP rail train went off the tracks near the village of Barrens just before 8 o'clock this morning. The evacuation was ordered when three cars carrying octane, a component of gasoline, began leaking. No one was injured, but emergency officials say the situation could have been a lot worse if other cars had ruptured. The other cars involved were in hydrous ammonia, which they would have had to double the, uh, the site where they had to evacuate if that was the case. An investigation is underway into what caused the derailment. In Health Matters tonight, a study finds that at least in some cases, you can have too much of a good thing. Researchers at the University of Colorado followed more than 460,000 adults over seven years and found those who slept fewer than six hours or more than nine hours were more likely to have a heart attack. Those who have a genetic predisposition to heart disease were able to lower that risk by 18% if they got a solid six to nine hours of sleep. East Vancouver's feathered celebrity is MIA. I want my buddy to come home. And if there's anybody out there who's taken him, please let him go. Canuck the Crow's human friend Sean Bergman putting out an emotional plea on social media asking for Vancouverites to be on the lookout for his feathery friend. Bergman says Canuck has not been seen since Friday, which is unusual. Canuck is a federally protected crow and has been wearing a numbered band that identifies him as a wild bird and not a pet. So if anybody out there can please help. I would be greatly appreciative, and so would a lot of other people, because we miss him. His family, and I miss him. I just want him to come home. Let's hope he shows up soon. Well, talk about acing his first flight lesson, how a student pilot managed to land a plane when his instructor passed out. That's after the forecast. So we'll check back in with Christy Gordon right now. He's back down to the PE in that beautiful prize home that will be given away next week, Christy. That's right. Get your tickets in or buy your tickets until midnight tonight, Chris. Uh, we're going to give you your back-to-school forecast. Can't believe it's that time of year. In just a second, first, a quick update on Hurricane Dorian. This is an incredibly devastating storm. Not only is it strong, it was a Category 5. It's now a Category 4 and it has weakened. But the devastating aspect of it is that it has been pretty much stationary for almost 24 hours right over the northern Bahamas. Look at the massive scale of this hurricane. Just 
devastating those areas and we're just starting to get some of the images now of what they're dealing with there. The good news for the U.S. is that it is going to track north offshore. So the effects on Florida, not much in, well, in comparative uh, to what we were expecting if they made landfall. More so, it has the potential of making landfall up towards South and North Carolina and will affect also Eastern Canada, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia with incredible rains likely later this week. So still a lot more to come from Hurricane Dorian. Here's your back to school forecast, everyone. It's going to be nice. Lots of sunshine. However, there's a bit of a however. By the late afternoon, evening hours, we do have a risk of thunderstorms across the south coast, likely east metro Vancouver through the Fraser Valley, but up towards Whistler, you'll see that also. Northern BC, showers for the north coast, otherwise hot and sunny for the first day back to school. Again, in the risk of thunderstorms in the afternoon across those regions and across the south coast also. But generally, we're looking at a nice week as the kids head back to school with no rain in sight other than that risk of thunderstorms tomorrow, Chris. So uh, great news for everyone here. A beautiful evening to wrap things up here at the Peony, and I'll be back a little bit later to give you that update at TLC playing tonight to finish things off here at the Peony. Be a great show. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. A student pilot in Australia is being praised today for how he handled the life or death situation when his instructor suddenly passed out at the controls of their plane. Tango, Foxtrot Romeo, do you know how to operate the aeroplane? Very, very light. This is my first um, lesson. It happened in Perth on Saturday. It took about 50 minutes for the air traffic control tower to walk 29-year-old student pilot Max Sylvester through what he had to do to land the plane on his own. And with his wife and three children looking on at the airport, he pulled it off. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it right there. This is perfect. Hold it, hold it. Very gently start breaking now. Gently start breaking now and you're down on the ground. You did it, mate. Well done. Well done indeed. I wonder if they told him his whole family was at the airport while they were talking. I wonder if they told his whole family what was going on up there. I wonder. Well, uh, fascinating story. Squires here, obviously, with a look ahead to sports. Yes. Exactly. School night. It really is a school night. First one in a long time. Uh, We'll talk tennis in a moment, but first... Football. Well, yes, because well, we thought something would happen with the BC Lions. I mean, they've just been too awful not to do something. So they used their bye week to say bye to one of their assistant coaches. Offensive line coach Brian Chu was fired on Saturday and replaced by former SFU head coach and BC Lion Kelly Bates. Of all the problem areas the Lions have had in their first 10 games, none stood out more than the offensive line, which does have some talented players on it. But those players looked like they were all given a different playbook. It allowed Mike Riley to be sacked a ridiculous 43 times. The only thing we learned under Brian Chu's offensive line was Mike Riley can take a hit like a champ. Here we go. Eyes on your target now, in your stance. Back to school came a day early for BC's beleaguered offensive line. New line coach Kelly Bates preaching the basics to a group that's given up a CFL high 43 sacks in 10 football games. What's the challenges of coming in halfway through the season at this point in the season, especially with the team that's 1-9? Well, I mean, I think the challenges are evident. You know, it's... It doesn't change what the challenges are. We're still trying to protect the quarterback. We're still trying to run the ball. We're still trying to be successful and win games. 
uh, we haven't done that. And uh, that's what, what the challenges are. Riley drops back again on second and seven. Can't find an open target. And it looks like he will be dropped again for the third time tonight. Heading into the bye week, BC had given up seven sacks in back-to-back -back football games. We all knew something had to give. So Lions general manager Ed Hervey made the decision himself to fire Brian Chu and bring in Kelly Bates in the hope of rebuilding what on paper should be a solid offensive line. I would have never imagined that we would have been um, had this much trouble protecting the quarterback with this group. Um, and I know those guys are battling hard and they're doing things, but again, there's just there's times where watching the film uh, it just looked like you know sometimes we just weren't there or there was a miscommunication uh, but you know you move different people in and same results right it's a little bit of everything there's little mistakes somewhere uh, that hurt us there's some big mistakes that hurt us and there's just, it's a little bit of everything all at the wrong time it's 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 incredible how things have not worked out to our fortune this year good hey yes finish straight hey if there's one thing that I would wish on this team and want to emphasize on our group is to, um, you know, when you get punched in the mouth, don't check to see if your teeth are there. <laughs> Punch back, right? Don't, don't check for blood because you're going to get hit. You swing back. Where's the live by? Uh, McMahon Stadium, Labor Day Classic, and Bo Levi Mitchell back for the Stampeders. From an arm injury, he hits Reggie Begleton here for the touchdown. This uh, it's a pretty easy win for the Stamps, 25-9 over Edmonton. I don't think Bo Levi's ever lost a Labor Day game. Uh, out east, it was the Ticats and the Argos. For a while, it looked like the Argos might win, and then they turned into the Argos. And Braylon Addison with a touchdown catch here from Dane Evans, who had a good game, 31 of 37, 442 yards. That got them to within three of Toronto. And then Jackson Bennett goes right up the middle. Well, sort of left center. Feels like I'm talking about politics now. He was left center. Anyway, Hamilton wins 38-27. Big shout out to the Canadian ladies who last night behind the outstanding pitching from Daniel Laurie. And some impressive offense beat Brazil. And with that win, Canada will be in Tokyo for the Olympic softball tournament. It'll be a six-team event. So the chances of getting a medal are not bad. Mm -hmm. All right, Naomi Osaka defending champ at the U.S. Open today with a sore knee against Belinda Bencic. And the knee basically cost Osaka this match. Like Novak Djokovic, both number ones are now out of the U.S. Open. That's a good rally. Bencic wins it in straight sets. Watch this rally, men's side. Alexander Zverev, Diego Schwartzman. Schwartzman won this in four sets, and he won this rally, too. Down the line. Yeah. And we are awaiting the start of Bianca Andreescu's match. We were just talking about how, you know, this major party uh, might be coming to an end, but there are a lot of events that have happened in other places that are now going to be... Down there at the PNE? Well, you know, when you think about it, years ago, the PNE was sort of the epicenter. The Canucks played there, the Lions right. played there, the Whitecaps played there. They all went, and the PNE stayed. But now things are starting to come back mm -hmm. to that area. Be it day or night, 
There are some pretty good crowds at the PE this year. Good enough that those who run it think the fair could eclipse last year's attendance of 700,000. You were happy with last year? We were. Um, are you happier with this year? Uh, you know what, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say I'm happier with this year. Happier with this year because some of the new attractions were very popular, like this one. We were uh, really happy with Snap Happy and just all the fun that everybody had posing and, and posting their shots of, of their fair-themed experience in Snap Happy. And they were happy with the food, both traditional and new. And one particular flavor was sort of the taste of the year. There was a lot of pickle going on this year. People really loved the pickle pizza. Um, I know I had more than, a fair, more than a fair share of pickle dogs. And while there's no guarantee that every food item will be back for next year... Uh, we uh, always swap out anywhere from 15 to 20% of our vendors every year. One thing that won't be swapped out? The super dogs, of course. There's uh, something really special about the super dogs' relationship with, here with Vancouver. They perform all across North America, uh, but they get crazy, crazy crowds here. If you changed out the super dogs, what do you think would happen? I think we'd have some riots. Now the end of the fair doesn't mean things settle down at the PE. Fall and winter will be busier than ever, and we don't just mean fright nights. Uh, we're launching a new harvest festival in October, and you know there will be an October fest component to it, but there'll also be a family-friendly uh, harvest land that has pumpkin patch and animals and archery and you know just fun activities. Uh, and then we were really proud to announce that we have uh, partnered with Aurora, and so the Christmas festival that used to be down at the Concord Place is moving out to the PE, and we're very excited to have that here. We think that'll be a huge hit, um, and we just we've got a lot of really great, uh, great new things happening. Lots to look forward to. Well, uh, yeah, having the Christmas lights there will be cool. That's massive. And I always love the Fright Nights. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. With Singe the Clown, Singe right? Singe the Clown rocks hard. Uh, let's, let's check in down there uh, once again with Christy. Of course, we'll be giving away the PNE Prize Home right here, live on the News Hour some point next week. We'll give you more details about that. But what a run it's been for you down there, Christy. It sure has. So we'll be giving away uh, the home next week on Monday on the News Hour, Chris. Uh, I will not be at Friday nights. I'm just soaking up the last day here at the Peony. It's been an incredible stretch, and it really is beautiful here. And what better way to finish off your Peony experience with a little mini donut? All right, Love back it. to you guys. All right, enjoy mm. it. Thanks very much. Great work down there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Uh, happy Labor Day, and good luck in school.